Strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. This is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Welcome back to Concerned Women Today. I have with me Monica Gill, who is a teacher, parent, wife in the Loudoun County School District. She was a teacher for 25 years, and she's become an activist, not really because she wanted to be, but just because she was, she just really felt called and could not find her way to be silent in the face of just the discriminatory and horrible policies of critical race theory. So Monica, I would love just to start out um, you just explaining how you got involved and, you know, what's been happening. Give us your story. Well, I am a teacher. Well, first of all, first of all, I'm a follower of Jesus, right? And a wife and a mom. Um, but I've also been a teacher for 26 years. I've been teaching in Loudoun County Public Schools for 20 years now, I believe. And just over the last five years, I've been very alarmed at the direction things have been going in our public school system. And the result has been, you know, for a time feeling like I couldn't say anything and being afraid to, to finally just, honestly, the Lord just removed all fear from me and put a fire in my belly. And I just, I can't, I can't not speak out against Mm -hmm. it. It's what's going on is so wrong in our public schools right now. So Loudoun County, where I teach, is the kind of ground zero right now in terms of this battle that's going on for our public schools and for our kids, really for our culture. And we're kind of highlighting, you know, and the example of what's going on around the country, it's not just happening in Loudoun. Well, that's right. I mean, we're seeing, you know, footage of parents around the country, specifically in here in my home state of Virginia, Loudoun County, Fairfax County. And these aren't particularly, you know, these aren't necessarily right wing conservatives or even Christian conservatives. These are parents who are just sick to death about what they're seeing, the indoctrination that they're seeing in their classrooms. And what was your story that made you wake up and realize Oh my goodness, there's something happening here and I have to speak to it. For me, the thing that really kind of got me to just have the Lord remove my fear was with our first training uh, on this equity initiative. Um, You know, and all of that really kind of snowballed from an equity assessment that Loudoun County Public Schools paid almost half a million dollars for from the equity collaborative. Mm. And that assessment, which really was an interesting assessment. It was pretty lopsided on its own. It, um, it based its study all off of anecdotal information and no real data, but the conclusion was that Loudoun County Public Schools was suffering from systemic racism and white supremacy and something had to be done, a- done about it. And so, of course, the Equity Collaborative rushed right in after oh, doing right. that. <laughs> yes, to of course, for, for the low, low price of, you know, whatever, you know, exactly. you know, many, many zeros, they can fix it for you. So when they started this push of equity training, the first training session that we had as teachers was in August of 2019. And that really just alarmed me, the things that were in that training session. Um and that was what really just got me going. And 
at that point, I kind of was a lone voice writing, going to school board meetings, writing letters to members of the equity team, just trying at the beginning, I really was just trying to say, hey, these are red flags that I see and and I want to be included in this conversation and the things that you're doing for the, this equity training, because if it goes in this direction that it, it feels like you're going, it's going to be detrimental to our community. And I really was ignored. So that just kind of got me moving even more. And I got more momentum when parents were at home watching on you know, the screens, what was happening in their classrooms with their kids and seeing this radical indoctrination and ideology being pushed to step out even more and write the first letters or first articles that I wrote for the Federalist. Um, but even before that, I had spoken out at a school board meeting where they were gonna they were gonna pass a policy to punish teachers for speaking out against their equity policy, right. which was essentially speaking out against CRT. And I spoke at that school board meeting saying, "Hey, my job is not to indoctrinate kids. My job." is supposed to be equipping kids to be able to evaluate competing claims. And what you're pushing is actually a competing claim. So that actually got me an interview with the Federalist. And from there, gave me the opportunities to write the articles that I've written for the Federalist. Well, so, God bless Ben Dominich and the Federalist. I am a yeah. huge fan of theirs and yeah. think they do a fantastic job. And, and Ben is a good man. I know him and I was, I know his parents. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just think they do a great job, you know, at the very beginning. I mean, I think as Christians, we recognize we are sinners, we're broken and we all need redemption. And so it's not hard for me to get to the point where I say, Racism's real because right. we're sinners, right? Sexism's right. real. We're sinners because it is part of the human condition. And that's mm -hmm. why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to make us sensitive to these, you know, uh, the sinfulness of our hearts so we can love our neighbor, Amen. even love our enemies, which is even really high bar, by the way, I struggle with that. And so, you know, everybody can love the lovable when people are really ugly to you. It's really hard to be loving back. You'd be loving in return. But I have a real problem the minute you start changing the word from equality to equity, because there's a big difference between equality, equal opportunity. I want every person to have to start at this, the point where they can compete and on an equal playing field. And I want that to be the case. Equity is equal outcomes, and that's socialism. <laughs> and by the way, when you do that, you don't, you do all end up in the same spot, but it's a really crummy place. It's yeah. a, it's poverty and it's authoritarianism and it's heavy handedness of government, and it's not a good place for anyone. And so that is, you know, we've had people, women of color, along with white women like myself, saying, like, hey, let's think of this link think this through in a way, let's teach our children, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. And maybe you can't in the public school system, although I really wish that you could teach them that Bible verse, you can teach them the principle and we can demand kindness in the classroom and on the playing fields and whatever it is. But now we're at a spot where we've built this cottage industry. And this is, we've talked about this on this podcast in, in more than one time, where there's a cottage industry that has built up. There is a bureaucracy around this, this thought that's been around now for a very long time, but just finally really gained traction, or maybe it's just that it rose to our consciousness 
in which there's these very loose definitions that you can never really nail down of what critical race theory is, what the expectations are, how do you solve the issues? Like, no, it's it's more about shaming. It's more about sort of a whole theory that is contradictory, honestly, to, to Christianity and to the principle that I just spoke to, which is forgiveness and love and kindness and res- mutual respect and those principles that are really part of the founding of our country. And so I am really interested in, you know, sort of what you think going forward. And and also let me back up and say the fact that parents saw this during COVID. I've heard that story over and over again, that, you know, this was all kind of under wrap, but then suddenly parents were, you know, now that they're looking at the classroom with their kids sitting alongside them there, they were shocked to find out what was actually being taught in their classroom. And Loudoun County is a very, you know, it's a well-to-do suburb of Washington, D.C. It's it's just very interesting that that is the place where this took root. So anyway, I'd just love for you to comment on any of that that you care to. Oh, goodness. I mean, I could comment on all of it. I could talk all day about it. But um, I think, you know, going back to your original point about the difference between equality and equity is huge. And really, that is what they are pushing. They are pushing equity, which is equality of outcomes, not equality of opportunity. And that is super problematic in the place of education. We're talking about seeing not only in Virginia, but in other school systems, like in California, they're leveling down curriculum Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, everybody's going to be in the same math. Yeah. Math is racist, by the way. Yes. And math is racist. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, In Loudoun County, they did away with the class rank. There's no more valedictorians. Um, we see, you know, it with the admissions policies for our, uh, academies of Loudoun, as well as Thomas Jefferson high school in our neighboring Fairfax County, where they are changing things because it's seen as if there's any disparity between two races, this is what folks like Ibram X. Kendi and mm-hmm. his books are being used by Loudoun County public schools, um, as well as um, other school districts across the country. And and he essentially says that it's perfectly fine to discriminate against racial groups if it creates an equal outcome. Mm -hmm. So it's perfectly fine to discriminate against white students because of their supposed white privilege. Well, and what just, just, if I could just say, when we're talking about Thomas Jefferson, the issue is not with white students. It is Asian immigrants that are furious right. about that because right. <laughs> they they ended up being the ones on the losing end of the new woke policies around TJ, which right. was you know sort of the math and science um, you know high school of Northern Virginia, and right. that has been a whole issue. And that's- that's the same with our academies of Loudoun that, you know, the Asian students and Indian students are the ones who yeah, get many Indian those- Americans too. Right. right. And so the issue there then is, well, they say it's perfectly fine to discriminate against their race as well, because the racial outcome is disproportionate to them. And so it's okay to use discrimination against them. And that is just the complete antithesis of what we were, what we're taught as Christians, right? You talked about that, what Martin Luther King taught us. If you listen to somebody like Ibram X. Kendi, he says that uh, the only 
remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. And the only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. And again, that's the opposite of what Dr. King taught us. You know, he said that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Mm -hmm. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So by that measure, discrimination cannot drive out discrimination. We can't use racism as a method to solve the problem of racism in our country. So it really is detrimental to our kids at an educational level. And at a cultural level, too, in terms of our students interacting with each other in, you know, just in our school community and our school culture, we're seeing um, just things division. fall apart. Mm-hmm. Division. Right. The speeches, the policies, the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. versus Ibram X. Kendi's teaching and uh, Robin D'Angelo, white fragility and all of that, like how it's the antithesis, right? I mean, I really think that if Dr. Martin Luther King was alive today, that that group would would just despise him. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, they dismiss him now Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, they in our equity trainings, for instance, we our last equity training, we had a whole session on microaggressions Mm -hmm. and we were taught that. But you cannot ever get to that is jello to the wall, right? You can never. I was watching, let me just back, sorry to interrupt, but this, I just okay. can't be quiet. <laughs> Two years ago, I took my son, I wrote a piece in The Federalist, who again, I love The Federalist, I love Ben Dominich. I wrote a piece, again, it was one of those things that I didn't want to write it. I didn't want to write it. I tried to resolve it behind the scenes with the president of Virginia Tech. I dropped off my son for orientation and I was shocked at the just woke leftist propaganda that was spewing on the stage of the orientation at the math and science school (laughs) of Virginia, Virginia Tech. It was just was so shocking to see what was happening. And so I tried to resolve it just like you. And it was, you know, the sort of that same woke leftist culture. It was the pronoun propaganda um, it was, you know, sort of that all of the training that that you would expect. I don't even remember what was my point of all that. Anyway, <laughs> it's just really difficult in the face of what's happening to to be silent because you don't want to take it on, but as a parent, you have to take it on. Yeah, absolutely. And so, as I was saying in this training, we were being taught that claiming colorblindness is a microaggression. Mm-hmm. And then in fact, if you try to say you're colorblind, you are just trying to avoid any issues of race or racism. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you are being racist if you claim colorblindness. And again, that is the complete antithesis of what Dr. King advocated for. He advocated for a colorblind society. He advocated for equality of opportunity. When you look at that, I have a dream speech. Oh my goodness. It's full of pointing to the promises of America's founding. You know, he talks about how the founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution, they made, they wrote a promissory note. He says that, and we're here to cash that check. We believe that the vaults of justice and opportunity are empty and bankrupt for us. And that those promises were for all men black and white. And of course, that's the universal man, not just men, period. Um, and that's what they're referring to. And, and so that he, this is completely being ignored. And of course, it offends my 
Christian sensibilities as well, just like as you said, you know, we're taught as Christians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, we're all one. So when we look at someone as Christians, we're supposed to be colorblind. We are supposed to look at someone who bears the image of God and loves them and love them like God loves them, see them as God sees them, not look at their race or their ethnicity or their gender or their social status. That's supposed to be the last thing that we notice about someone. And yet now, everything's flipped upside down. That's the first thing that we're supposed to notice is um, a person's color or gender or whatever. And then we're supposed to label them. And it really is, again, creating this ugly divisiveness, particularly on the issue of race. Well, and back to what my point in microaggression is, I was watching um, at one of their trainings, the teacher sent me their trainings after I wrote this piece and it's talking about microaggressions. And one microaggression was not to refer to someone using, they're talking about Latinx versus Latina, Latino. And they're like, you have to figure out, and these, and what they said was these change all the time. And you've right. got to figure out what the right label is. And so I was thinking, you know, honestly, if I were a student, I would be more afraid to reach out to someone who's different than me. And I think this is really the end result is the disunity. If we're become afraid of reaching out to each other, someone who's different, we can never understand each other. I truly believe as Christians, we are to be culture warriors in many different ways. And one is to fight racism and to fight sexism and to fight unkindness and to really like work for a society of love and understanding. But when you get there by disunity, by sowing discord, by hurting others, by shaming little children, like that's not going to reap a good harvest. That's going to reap an ugly harvest. And and where they're the where the starting point is just so wrong. The other thing I've said, the issue of, you know, quote unquote, colorblindness. Yeah, that was a term, you know, I think we were all kind of taught that what they were trying to get to with that term. It's not that you don't see that someone's a different race than you. Of course you see it. You have eyes in your head. The point is you're not coming up with these sort of conscious or unconscious biases against them or not willing to reach out your hand and like build a relationship with them. I love fashion. Mm -hmm. I love color. I love, you know, I love differences. We are a tapestry that God knit together and And I see beauty in every single race, every different hue and color, every ethnicity, because I love it that God knit together this beautiful tapestry in America. And thank God we're not all bland in the same thing. And it is, you know, it's, it's incredible that we have this beautiful country in which we have inherited the opportunity. You know, my husband always says, you know, we won the lottery just being born here. We mm-hmm. won the lottery of opportunity just being born in America. We have a, we have the opportunities that women around the world only dream about. The vast majority of legal immigrants coming to this country are women. And the reason is because they realize that we have something special in this country. So let's get back to, again, Loudoun County, what's happening as a parent. First of all, I am so sorry for the teachers. I have really good friends who are teachers and they're telling me these stories about not knowing how to refer to students and be afraid they get it wrong, you know, based on the pronoun. They're saying that there is this trend now that children are refusing, not children, it's like, you know, the high school students. Um, It is not cool to stand up for the Pledge of the Allegiance, and there's this social pressure not to do it. And so, you know, they're they're watching this unfolding of wokeism in their schools, and they really don't quite know. They're afraid for their jobs. Tell me, like, about the morale of teachers. 
I would say morale is, is pretty low. Um, and everything that you've said is true. I mean, there's a lot of fear. There's a fear that anything that you say may be misconstrued. And so that means that you're not connecting with students the way that you normally would. And what, what's the number one way that you're able to do education well is by just building good rapport with your students. And if you can't even do that, then it really is creating an unhealthy environment. And so, you know, teachers are afraid of being misconstrued, of being called a racist. Um, and so in a lot of ways, this obsession with race has kind of sucked the joy out of teaching for a lot of teachers. And, and I stole that phrase from a fellow teacher who made that comment at one of our school board meetings. She said, you guys are just sucking all of the life and joy out of what we do here in teaching. But, you know, it's also insidious in the way that we're watching it trickle down into our student body and how it's impacting our students and their relationships with each other. Mm -hmm. um, this whole that. obsession with, with white privilege, right? That is really been detrimental. I have heartbreakingly witnessed some of our students of color say to their white peers, well, you need to check your white privilege or you can't be a part of this conversation because you're white. Now, no student should be excluded because of their skin color, whether they're white, black, brown, Asian, that has nothing to do with whether or not they have something of value to add to a conversation or whether or not they are an individual of value. And yet this, these are the kinds of things that we're hearing. I'm also, we're seeing our black students, again, because of this white privilege narrative, which is a racial stereotype, we're seeing our black students be held back. Our black students who want to strive and take higher level courses like AP classes, they get a lot of peer pressure from that's their black peers. And that's not new, by the way. I mean, yeah. I think you have, no, and I, I, know, I don't think it's, it's just one race either. I think it's, you know, I, I grew up in Appalachia and there was sort of this, uh, this undercurrent of you're trying too hard kind of thing. I don't even, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's, it is insidious. But that's not a white thing. That's a human thing. Yep. Like, you know, human dignity wants to strive to do better. So this whole notion of white privilege, again, it is a racial stereotype. What, what's a racial stereotype? It's taking one characteristic mm -hmm. and applying it to an entire group of people. So how then can you take this characteristic of privilege and say that it applies to every white person and then not call that a racial stereotype? That's exactly what it is. And we're watching the divisiveness that it's creating. I mean, at my own training, one of the first ones um, where we watched that video, I'm sure many people have seen it at this point where it's, um, I think it's called the unequal opportunity race where you've got the white right. runners, yes. black runners, right? Mm -hmm. And the black runners are held back and they have all of these obstacles and the white runners have no obstacles. And I'm sitting in that training and my colleague who's sitting next to me is in tears, literally in tears. And she says, this video just completely discounts my struggles as a single white mom who was on welfare, who had her kids, all four kids on free lunch. Mm -hmm. She said, I don't have white privilege. I struggled in my life. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, just, I mean, white privilege isn't my story. I, my dad has an eighth grade education. He never finished high school. He started with nothing and has been on his own since he was 14. Mm -hmm. And he rose, I mean, he's the story of the American dream, you know, pulled himself up by his bootstraps. I'm very proud of him. And because of what he did, he gave myself and my brothers a better life. I'm the first person on both sides of my family to go to college. I have 15 cousins, or there's 15 of us total, including me, and three of us went on for higher education. 
three out of 15. How is that white privilege? It's, it's not. Well, so, and many of us have that story, right? And you know, I, I was telling, um, I don't, J.D. Vance, who wrote Hillbilly Elegy, I had a conversation right. with him this week. And I was sharing with him that my grandmother had nine children. She outlived two alcoholic husbands. She worked in a factory. She probably had not above a fifth grade education. I mean, just because people maybe started out with money at some point in their family doesn't mean you finish with it, right? <laughs> a lot can go wrong. I don't know if my family ever had any, but they certainly didn't have it by the time it got to us. And so my mother dropped out of school at 16 and married my father. She ended up getting a GED and going to community college. And in two generations, we went, and then of course I was, I went to, Liberty University graduated and have had all this amazing opportunity that honestly, God is so good. And, um, and I also worked hard. <laughs> and in two generations in this country, you can go from, you know, abject poverty to rubbing elbows with the president of the United States. That doesn't happen in many places. Right. And I breaks my heart for us to ever in any way signal to children of uh, any race, you know, any socioeconomic level that your ability it to uh, achieve and that your station in life is set because of the family you were born in, because that is a lie that is not true. And we need to work to extend hands to those who, who need it we, within the church, especially. We, if we have a job, we need to look around our church and figure out who needs it. We need to help and love each other and help people that are struggling regardless, you know, whatever the race is, but certainly is in the minority community. We need to reach out and love and figure out how that we can help build healthy families in that community. And I think that we can do it. We have to be activists in that way and push back on godless notions that are bad ideas that hurt the very people that we're trying to help. But I just want to thank you, Monica. Thank yeah. you for being on and thank you for your courage, because I know, I mean, I was literally so afraid when I wrote the piece for the federals because they got my kid, right? That's right. where people feel you, you've got employment, you know, issues that I'm sure made you very nervous. You have your children in the school system. When you've got your kid, you feel like they got you. And there's a bunch of parents that feel that way, but mm -hmm. we are strong together. We must tell the truth. We must tell the truth for, for the least of these so that we can actually have policies that help. And so when we're not afraid to have the conversation and when a student says, you know, I, I want to say something about this instead of saying you can't have an opinion on your why, instead they need to say, let me help you understand. Let me help you understand and let's have a conversation. That's the healthy way to deal with these issues. So thank you so much for what you're doing. We are praying for you. you. We're praying and we need to pray for our nation. Pray for and be and be agents of good the agents of good folks. We've got to take leadership here, take leadership away from those who are pushing detrimental policies. Every woman listening right now, if you need to pray whether the Lord wants you to run for school board, okay? This is how you win. This is how you change. You take leadership and you do a better job and you base your policy on biblical principles on Christian worldview. And that's how you have success with the whole help of the Holy Spirit. So Monica, I would love to know people who want more information, what should they do? 
Well, this really is a battle that is not just ours as the adults, right? There is a battle in the political arena. And so we need to be pushing back there in terms of, as you said, running for school board or um, speaking at school board meetings, writing letters, being very involved, knowing what's going on. But I think the bigger issue that we're failing to realize as teachers and parents is that this is a battle that our kids are into. We're in a culture war. They're in this battle, whether we want to admit it or not. And so we have got to equip our kids to be able to do battle with bad ideas. Right. So as a parent, even as a teacher, if you are a teacher, you can use these materials and incorporate them into your classroom in order to teach kids how to think. I mean, that ultimately is the issue. Mm -hmm. Our school system is not teaching kids how to think anymore. They're teaching them what to think. So we need to be proactive and teach them how to think. Mm -hmm. So a couple of resources I would recommend. One is, um, it's a workbook called The Art of Argument and the authors are Hodge and Larson. And you can get this at the Christian bookstore. Well, we'll link to it on our, we'll link it on on our website. So come to concernwomen.org and we'll link to that. Any other resource? Real quick, that Art of Argument, it goes through 28 logical fallacies Mm -hmm. in a very fun way and a very approachable way. So that will help your kids to be able to do battle with these bad ideas. The second one, particularly for, you know, this is a Christian organization, Christian moms, is called Mama Bear Apologetic, equipping your kids to challenge cultural lies. Yeah, it's fantastic. And the um, the editor editor is, um, her last name is, I can't, I don't know if she pronounces it fur or fairer, but it's F-E-R-R-E-R, uh, Hillary Fur. Um, but that Mama Bear Apologetics book is fantastic because it is going to take, good for dads too, but it's going to take you through all of these cultural lies from tolerance and critical race theory and transgenderism and really help you talk to your kids about it and give it, give the discussion with your kids through the lens of a biblical worldview so that they don't get overtaken by these bad cultural ideas and they can really not just be able to discern them, but also be able to do battle in a winsome way mm-hmm. against these bad ideas. So those are my two recommendations. That's awesome. Uh, and, I, and I should mention that we have Young Women for America, our college chapters, and we develop curriculum for them because I really love what you just said about we need to teach children and young students and call This is really for high school and college students the undergirding principles. So they understand the biblical worldview, the free market principles, the constitutional principles at stake and in a range of issues. So thank we, hey, thank you so much for being on. We're gonna put all of that. We're gonna link to all of that on our website on concernwomen.org. So be sure to come to our website and we'll have all of that there for you. So Monica, thank you and, and God bless you. All right, you too, thanks. All right, sister. Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, bringing you biblical perspective to today's most pressing issues. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. We pray this episode has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit concernedwomen.org. That's concernedwomen.org.